0: Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at MetalMaryZ on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. It's Mary Z. This is the Voice Hacks podcast back once again. And today, I have a really awesome guest that I've been majorly looking forward to speaking to it's the vocalist adrian cowan and we are going to talk to her about the multitude of projects and things she lends her vocals to her different bands her journey what she's up to she's a vocalist a vocal coach an instrumentalist a jack of all trades truly it's so lovely to have you welcome
1: Thank you very much for having me. That was a very nice introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. But you are all those things.
0: Indeed. You do so much.
1: Must be why I'm so tired all the time. You know, we were talking
0: about how difficult it is to get these things scheduled and stuff. And so it's like that's how I felt to the last podcast I was a guest on being musicians and having so much stuff going on. It's really tough. Tell us about all of the current projects that you're doing in bands that you're doing vocals in and also if you have any instrumental projects that you're in just so that folks can put an identity to some of the things that they've heard you on Which I'm sure they have.
1: So my main band is Seven Spires where I am the vocalist orchestrator and one of the main songwriters and I also sing for Sasha Pitt's Masters of Ceremony and I'm a backing vocalist in Aventasia and I am a keyboardist and backing vocalist in Winds of Plague. And I also have a Patreon where I do metal arrangements of songs that I like. Sometimes they're instrumental, sometimes they're vocal and instrumental, so yeah. That's about what I do. Man,
0: and also through your Patreon, I've noticed you have um, vocal coaching and things like that on top of performing music, right?
1: Yes, I I don't give one-on-one lessons but I do workshops every Saturday. Um, for example, today I did a workshop on how to make the most of your practice sessions and stay motivated, because I think that's something that I get a lot of DMs about on, uh, on social media. How do I know what to improve on? How do, like, how do you practice every day and stuff like that? But uh, the other workshops are also like, here's my orchestral breakdown for this thing that I did. And um, yeah.
0: That's really neat, because Patreon is not something that I think I could ever have time for. I feel so overloaded as it is. And Mm -hmm. I really admire the folks who've like delved into that world. That has to be a pretty unique experience connecting with the audience in that
1: way. It's been one of the best decisions I've made in my career ever. Not only because I can directly connect with the people. Well, because I can directly connect with the people that appreciate me for like my art and my soul. This has been such an important positive influence on my mental health, because any other time when I'm trying to connect with fans and supporters, it's like on a much more public place, which means I have to filter through a lot of cruel people. And um, to know that, yeah, I'm sure you know too. So to be able to have this space where I can just be exactly myself, and people like it, I I actually wrote them a pretty emotional message last night. I was like, thank you so much. You really, you like, they have no idea how how much they've, like, contributed to my inner peace. But this is fantastic. I think when Patreon and
0: things first came out, people had a whole, like, crowdfunding. This is not really crowdfunding Patreon. It's, like, totally different. But it came Mm -hmm. out of that evolution, you know, where... Uh, People are sort of patrons of the arts, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. the root of the name. I think that people had never had any idea what it would turn into. And that's really fascinating to hear that it's become like a comfort space for you because I agree. Like, uh, I live in constant anxiety
1: (laughs) being on YouTube. Absolutely. Oh my God, I can barely even post once a month on YouTube. I don't know how you do it. I like once I post something after like the first three hours when I know that like me replying to stuff is going to boost my standing in the algorithm. I don't read comments anymore because if I read one really mean one, it's just going to make me feel so bad. And it's really hard to not hyper focus on that. That one like the one negative one in the sea of nice people. Oh, that's always the one though. Yeah. Like
0: we all do that. Especially musicians, yeah. especially vocalists. Yes. So like because you are go we one are further. Our instrument. Yeah, it's much more maddening. And it's very hard to separate. I tell a lot of my like new vocal students that put stuff on YouTube, if they're not like content creators, you know, I tell them like, if you're just putting it up there to do like your covers and have like a, essentially like a resume of what you can do, Mm -hmm. just turn the comments off. I tell them, I'm like, why does a, you know, I'm like back in the day in the olden times and the before times (laughs) when you would watch MTV, you couldn't comment, you couldn't leave a comment on the video. That the artist would see. Like, you couldn't comment on it. You had to, like, take the art as it was presented to you. And in your mind, you can have an opinion about it, but you could, this whole, like, public commentary thing didn't exist. And I always tell them, like, why does someone need to comment on your cover? Like, if it's yours and you that. like yeah. it, you know?
1: <laughs> Damn. I'm going to do that. Because I, I mean, like, people are really, really nice, but people are also really freaking mean. And I, It's not that I can't handle it, I just, I don't wanna waste my energy handling it. So, no, maybe I'll just do that. And if they wanna say nice things to me, then they can join me in my lovely Patreon space.
0: That's kind of where it is. It's like, now we've kind of transcended the need to have public commentary. Like, I would do it if I didn't do teaching things on YouTube, Mm -hmm. but, Um, since I do teaching, like I leave it open and it is just kind of crazy sometimes, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, like, I I feel like a musician, like an artist, like that's your art or that's your music or that's your vocals. And if you're happy with it, like, why does it need constant commentary? You know, I always think about that, like, why you know and you're right because it, even if you're professional it shows that you know you still are affected by these things and you can't help but hear the negative and then question yourself and
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's really tough yeah.
1: and people are like you should just ignore it and yes but have you tried having rude things said to you like up to a 100 times a day every day how please, how you, please like, try to ignore it and tell like, me how you feel
0: yeah saying just ignore is like don't be depressed anymore
1: yeah have you tried yoga have you tried going outside drink some water no (laughs) did you try melatonin no it doesn't work like that it's a problem just stop feeling anxious what's the matter yeah oh (laughs) done thank you (laughs) that's
0: how i feel too you know and um you know some of my fellow youtubers are really supportive and stuff but it's it's a tough world out there and I'll, all of them are pretty transparent about their anxiety too and i think it's good when we're transparent about this stuff you know on our podcasts and all, on stuff because people just getting into it that's going to be terrifying like yeah you know, watching someone who's already established you know you're like god now i'm supposed to put myself out there so you know, yeah
1: i mean i but, think also like people just don't necessarily realize that we're humans too or something like that and uh it it can be easy to just see like the idea of somebody on a screen and not think about that person like lying in their bed at the end of the day thinking about what all the things that were said to them yeah and and
0: i think that too also people love to play gotcha you know they like 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 want to find one little flaw in something you're doing and i think that can feed into all these types of other Anxiety is related to being a skilled individual, imposter mm. syndrome, things oh like God. that. Yeah. Like big time. So, but let's talk about the fun stuff. Because sure. <laughs> I wanna hear. So, for people who don't realize, Sasha Pates, Masters of Ceremony, and Advantage are European bands and um, with lots of legendary, legendary folks. Sasha's a legend, Toby's a legend. Let's go over your story of how you came to connect with those people overseas and be involved with some of those projects.
1: When I was 18, I had the beginnings of my band, Seven Spires, and I knew that I wanted Sasha to mix and master the EP, or Sasha and Miro to respectively mix and master the EP, because they had worked on all of my favorite records, and that was the sound that I wanted. So I emailed him cold. And said it would be an honor to have your work grace our record. And he did it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) We've been in contact ever since. And um, a few summers ago, I was at a friend's wedding. And I got the call from Sasha who said that they uh, had an open slot for backing vocalists. And what am I doing during X dates? And um, I was like, well, what what am I doing? You tell me. (laughs) And uh, he's like. It would be really good for your career. Um, I think you're a, a really cool person and wouldn't, basically was like, I know you're not gonna be a pain in the ass on the road. Um, you're not gonna be like a diva or like, you know, oh, it's, the butter's too hard. It's too cold in here, blah, blah, blah. He proposed me to Toby and Toby eventually said, yep, she can join us. And uh, I got the confirmation that I would do the tour. Uh, almost on the same day that I signed... Oh, I think it was the same day that I signed the record deal for Spires. And that day uh, was the same... I think that was the same day that um, Sasha went to pick up his new puppy. So I got to like sit on the ground covered in puppies and then I signed a record contract and then I got into a band that I've been a fan of since I was a teenager. So it was a very good day. Wow. Very validating and... <laughs> yeah. So yeah. awesome. So what's your... So are you a big like
0: fan of the things that Sasha did with like Andre Matos and some of that older stuff that he's done?
1: Yeah, I didn't know about um Virgo mm-hmm. until Sasha played some for me and I was like, man, this is cool. But yeah, I mean, everybody knows I'm a huge Camelot fan.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um that was like part of the big reason of why I wanted to work with him. And yeah, I mean, like when you look at the Who's Who of Symphonic Metal from like a certain era, it's like all Sasha's records. Yes. Yeah.
0: He's he's incredible.
1: I'm a fan of most things he's done. And actually, I I talked with him about it a little bit. And he's like, yeah, all those records on my Wikipedia page, like, that's, that's like a fraction of the things that I've worked on. So I think he's (laughs) actually pretty much worked on every, every album that's like, vaguely in the genre
0: <laughs> well i mean that's amazing and see that's like a person that again unless you're super into metal like a lot of people you know when someone's more the architect like that and not the front person they don't i'm glad that's why i'm mean, that's why i was glad to see that he came on the project where he like his name was in it like the sasha mm-hmm. pate master, you know because he really has been a huge huge reason why all these bands are where they are and and he deserves that credit, but that's so neat. That's such a neat story. And I think that's really inspiring for a lot of the folks listening to it as well. You know, you just got to reach out and, uh, you, you know, I think a lot of people are under the impression that, you know, they just wait for the opportunity to come to them. And you just like went ahead and wrote one of your influences and was like, hey, we want you to like work on our record. And it turned out that he said yes. And I always tell people, you can't get the yes if you don't do the ask. Like, not asking, asking is almost the same thing. Because if you don't right. ask, it's the same as if they said no anyway.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you can't not put in the work before you ask. But I'm a huge fan of just sending the email because the worst thing that could happen is either they don't reply or they say no. Yeah. But I've definitely landed some really randomly cool stuff or like other bands that I've been in have gotten some great gigs because we asked for it. Um, That's
0: really cool. And I think like lots of musicians need to hear that. I think I think a lot like I just see it over and over and over on both like the student level with the people that I coach and also on the professional level with some people that I've seen around for a long time like this syndrome of artists where they like need to be bestowed a role or like Mm. given a role or they don't feel like it's validated they don't actually like do some of the reaching out that could lead to those opportunities like they just like are like how come no one's noticing me or whatever yeah but it's not that simple to be you know really yeah
1: well I definitely also have been this person and I've almost missed some beautiful opportunities because I was like no I'm too shy it's not going to do it. and it's because like I doubted myself and my own worth and my capabilities but it's hard but it's really important to be able to separate yourself from yourself and just look objectively at what you've worked on and your skill set and be like yes I think that I could probably pull that off whether or not I my inner critic thinks that I deserve it or you know something
0: exactly right because it's kind of finished not perfect one of the things about vocals and also i would argue a lot of instruments just art in general Mm -hmm. is is part of the things i actually a student just wrote me yesterday and they were like should I perfect my screams before I join the band or should I join the band? And I was like, you should just join the band part of getting better is doing it, you know? And so it's kind of this catch 22, like you said, like some opportunities you want to know you've worked up to, uh, before you go after them. Like obviously a brand new person isn't going to get to front like iron maiden or something, (laughs) (laughs) even if they ask, but at the same time, you know, uh, if you, if you don't have that practice built up, some of those opportunities can't be achieved. And, and you get it by just putting yourself out there and doing it, and I think that's awesome. So, Aventasia, your guys' next gig is going to be Vaken, like I think, right? Is that right? I don't know. Damn, I actually I have no right. idea.
1: I think you're <laughs> right. We are doing Valken next year. That was announced recently, and it'll be my first time playing Valken. We were supposed to play last year. You know, it's one of those things that's like every like American metalhead even just wants to go because it's not something that's very easily accessible to us. So the fact that we're playing and uh, have like a pretty good slot as well, like, I don't know. I, that's oh, amazing. I feel very good about myself. That's even if good. I'm just a backing vocalist, you know? So yeah. Oh, uh,
0: you should. I mean, it's a wonderful opportunity and, um being a backing vocalist on a headliner on the biggest festival in metal is huge. It's a huge, huge deal. It's not just anything. It's it's huge, right. you know. <laughs> How's working with the folks in Avantasia? There's a lot of very professional people. Tobias, um I went on a tour with Tobias once back in 2009, my band opened for Ed Guy. But
1: oh, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, That's so cool.
0: What I'd noticed about Ed Guy and Toby was that he was probably the most professional singer I'd ever toured with or played with. Period. And their whole band, like whether we played to 50 people in um, Portland or whether we played to 1,200 people in Montreal, they did like the arena set that they would do mm-hmm. at Vakan with the drum solos and everything, and they didn't mm-hmm. leave anything out. And Toby didn't put any less energy into the tiniest show that he put into the biggest show. And that was probably the most impressive thing to me. And he was pretty serious too. Like he didn't, he definitely was not doing youthful shenanigans and partying the way that I was, you know, certainly. He was way more responsible, but that was why he was killing it every night. And I did honestly learn a lot by watching somebody like that. So I was wondering how, you know, how your experience has been working with these pro dudes over there like that.
1: Uh, Same as you, maybe less youthful shenanigans because I was honestly like intimidated and scared out of my mind, really wanted to make a good impression. That's what you're supposed
0: to do. Like uh, (laughs) that's the good thing to do. That's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, like socially, I feel like I kind of kept to myself a lot. Didn't really. I mean, like I went to like the dinners and sometimes went for drinks with them. But like I was not getting drunk every night because I had to be on stage almost the entire three and a half hours and I had to sing almost those three and a half hours. So I don't know. I don't know how the guys could do that, but I definitely can't. And their livers are twice as old as I am. So (laughs) it doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. Um, They're amazing, amazing performers. And especially Toby, it's just like, it was a blessing to be able to have almost the best seat in the house as far as like uh, a studying perspective. Definitely, yes. Picked up a few things that I have yet to be able to use, unfortunately, but um, I have filed some things away for later. <laughs> yeah, incredibly inspiring, just grand artists, and uh, then there was me, and I'm like, oh,
0: you're <laughs> amazing, though.
1: All the guys that you're,
0: the vocalists and avantage and and ladies, um, mm. are phenomenal. Uh, and and they wouldn't put anybody up there that they didn't feel you know, was was obviously very competent, you know, so, oh, but so. but what that's what people should be doing, so the moral of the story is if you get an opportunity to perform with super professional people, you should take it seriously, like you have, Absolutely. and set a good example, I mean, I was just screwing around, that was when I was in the band Luna Mortis, we were on Century Media and everything, but again, I was just young and... <laughs> Just partying too hard, you know, kids Mm. stuff. But, you know, in hindsight, you wish that you take it a little bit more seriously, but let's talk more directly about you. So you've got Seven Spires, and you do some really great harsh vocals in Seven Spires. I mean, you kind of do a lot. You, that, one's, that one, you, you run the gamut. Tell us about how it is to go back and forth between these genres, where you're doing clean vocals with Aventasia, or even clean vocals in your own band. Mm-hmm. How did you get started doing the aggressive vocals
1: and things? For a long time, I thought that I couldn't do it, and therefore, I could never be a singer in a metal band. Um, wow. Yeah. And that was like when I was in high school and stuff. And uh, I heard a band like Children of Bodom that had keyboards in it. And then I thought, wow, maybe I can be in a metal band because the first instrument that I became proficient in is keyboards. And then I was like, no, I'm going to be a singer. And I was singing rock and roll for a while. And then I thought it would be so cool if I could get like one, like one scream in the set. So we started writing some like groovier, darker stuff. Again, this was like my high school band's. Oh, and then I got to Berkeley and I was writing power metal, and some people made me feel bad about uh, my artistry. And like, so wait, so um, let's for
0: the listeners, so you're talking about Berkeley College of Music, where you studied music in yes. Boston? Uh, yeah. And so while you were there, you started making power metal, and you felt like some of the people there were not really encouraging of that like is that other students or staff or just like the they're very like for a modern music school I do notice they're very jazzy they like a lot of jazz over
1: there for sure for sure um it wasn't like the school itself oh I have that was a whole other thing but there were like some people in my life that made me feel kind of like I'm like a chronic people pleaser rather I'm a recovering people pleaser I don't know i was easily manipulated into feeling bad about like not being able to do any of the extreme stuff. And, um, I was really pissed about that. And, uh, when I got there, a lot of the scene in new England was like thrash death and, um, like core basically. Yes. So there's probably like one other like kind of symphonic metal band or like one other power metal band. This was in 2013. So things are a lot different now as far as I remember. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I think I was at lunch and somebody said like it would be cool if it was like less melodic and symphonic and more blackened thrash or something and my brain was Mm. like fuck you man fuck you oh that's so annoying (laughs) because that's like symphonic melodic was like everything that I was at the time and uh I was so mad and like these people had their um roots in thrash and death metal but black metal became the thing that was mine and nobody could take that from me so i went home and i learned how to scream by singing along to Demon borker and um, oh sweet yeah i really spent since since probably 2013 2014 i really focused a lot on just developing a good like kind of consistent distortion and then after that learning how to do highs that were like kind of witchy and demonic and then after that learning how to do lows that were like gurglier and um kind of just more brutal i guess and um yeah here we are now
0: Yeah, and I've seen some really excellent Spire songs. And and haven't you done some harsh vocals with Winds of Plague occasionally sometimes?
1: Yes, I do. With Winds, uh, they will sometimes be like, oh, you should do cleans in this section. So uh, I'll do like cleans on one or two songs. But um, there is one song where Johnny's like, uh, Johnny's the singer for anyone who doesn't know. Johnny's Mm -hmm. like, put your piano to the side, come out to the front of the stage with me, and we're going to just trade lines. And so we scream at each other and at the crowd, and it's really fun. And, That's yeah. super fun. That's super yeah. awesome. Yeah.
0: That's so cool. So now, do you have any techniques for I know that also too from following you on Instagram and stuff that you're really invested in your like vocal continuing vocal knowledge. Like, so this should be a lesson to uh all the people listening that are like in my student kind of category or in like new people kind of trying to get into this that even though you have these gigs and you're 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 further along in your career you're still working on your instrument very actively and openly i just gathered that from following you on instagram and you talk like very specifically about what you're trying to do here and what you're trying to do there so can you tell us a little bit more about what you've been doing lately to kind of um, continue your vocal studies and kind of continue your practice and uh, work on your skills and and why you're doing that also.
1: Sure. I mean, I, especially in the last year, it was the first time that I had time to start taking lessons again. When I was on the Aventasia tour in 2019, I was very self-conscious about my skill level. I feel like I was Good enough to get the gig, but because I was the youngest, I felt like the weakest link, and that's purely because like they've all been doing music for as long as I had been alive. Yeah,
0: the average age of most of the people in there is mu- is quite a bit. There's quite a bit of an age gap between you and most of the people in Avantasia. Yes. Yeah, yep, I sure. think the
1: next youngest person is in his early forties. I'm 26 for reference.
0: I'm always telling my students stuff like that, too. I'm like, look, when you're looking at your favorite artists, you have to think about like actually how old they are compared mm-hmm. to you, because that means that they're that good because they've had that many more years to practice. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So when I was on this tour, I was like, okay, I'm like good enough, I guess, but I would really, really like to be better. And I would like for everyone to know that like, that's, that's not my final form. So I went home and I'm like, I got to do something about this. So I started taking lessons again with this great teacher, David Akason. He is based in Sweden. I think you, I guess you know him, you're nodding. (laughs) And, yes. Yes. Um, actually it's funny cause I've never met him, but we just like
0: chat on Instagram cause I think just like the vocal coach thing, you know, yeah. that's how we connected.
1: Yeah. I think we've been following each other since 2013 because I found him through the hashtag power metal vocalist thing oh. on Instagram. Aha. And yeah, anyway, cool. so yeah, I started taking lessons and, uh, I, you know, obviously last year all our shows were canceled, but I wanted to keep putting up like content and, All I was doing was taking lessons and practicing and writing music. So (laughs) here's what I did today. People will ask me like, how do you do this? Or do you have any tips on that? So I just started writing like, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm doing to work on it. Um, Here's why I need to work on it. And like the reasons I struggle with it and um, what I'll use it for in the future. And yeah, between that and just wanting to like, let any viewers who aren't musicians know that we are human. Vocalists don't sound like how they sound in the studio like that's edited within an inch of its life yeah so like here's a very human raw sound we're trying our best Yeah. It's very
0: brave of you, though. And I really like that because we never used to have such processed vocals. Like, the most disappointing thing when I'm telling students, even if I get my vocals and I do 100 takes to it being as in tune as I can make it, they're still going to tune it. Get used to it. You know, this is what everybody does. The best singer in the whole world is Mm -hmm. getting tuned by the producer. It doesn't matter. It's just the industry standard. Like, the mixer's got to put their name on the record, you know? And, but I think what you're doing is awesome because. Human beings don't sing, you know, within 10 cents of the pitch all the time like mm-hmm. auto tune does, and we can't be as edited and comped. And you know, I think it's really cool what you're doing because it it helps people. Uh, and that's sometimes what I try to do with my vocal lessons too. Is I'm like, you may not be good at this now. You got to mm-hmm. practice to be better at it. There's this huge thing in the vocal world, and you know this. It's like the American Idol syndrome. Like either you have
1: it, you've got oh it. Oh my god. You're the one.
0: You just no. have it. You can just sing, right? Like the American Idol syndrome or the uh, the voice kind of thing. Because that's not true. It's always finished, not perfect. So what you're showing people, too, is you're always going to have to practice to get better. There's a lot of hard work. When I do reactions to people like Floor, and I'm like, there's a lot of intent. This person probably practices a lot. People are mm-hmm. like, what? like, what? And I'm like, yes. Oh, prax-
1: yeah, Practice. <laughs> of course she practices. I would hope that she practices. I mean, she probably doesn't have to, like, practice just to be able to do the thing, but she probably practices to get it, like, exactly how exactly she wants Exactly all it.
0: finessed and yeah.
1: that pro sound. You know,
0: that's why, and then people act, like, surprised by that. I'm like, do you think it just
1: comes out that pro, like? <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, it's that, funny. and that's nothing against Floor because she's amazing and what a goddess but no like, no no nobody but, nobody immediately nobody does pro. that yeah yeah she
0: went to like music school though and also was a vocal coach so there's already some transparent work and some acknowledgement of the work from her just having done those things you know that's the other myth that it can't be random like that you can't just like randomly like let whatever come out
1: <laughs> yeah I mean you can but I mean you can't do that and it be good every time
0: that's really what it is yeah (laughs) then it will be random like if it's decent or not you know yep
1: yep definitely let's talk too about your main
0: band that we've been talking a little bit about it seven spires but we talked about more in context of harsh vocals Mm -hmm. your aesthetic themes are really interesting um the outfits you guys choose the way you guys choose to look tell us about what you're doing with them and what you have coming next uh with spires
1: Somewhere there was an interview where Tomás Holopainen described Nightwish as the scenery of his soul, and that is what Spires is to me. That's write- not lame, that's so cool. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, we write concept albums, and I mastermind all of the concepts, I write all the lyrics, all the aesthetics are me... Um, if if you could, you person listening to this, if you could see my room, it is decorated in the Spire style. That's just what I like. It so happened That's that awesome. when I, yeah, it happened that when I met Jack, he was also into the same stuff. It was really weird. And then when we brought Pete in, he had almost exactly the same kind of thing, but uh, Pete's the bass player.
0: And where are you guys from? Uh, where did you guys get together?
1: Uh so I met Jack. We all went to Berkeley together. I met Jack in oh. the Berkeley bookstore in my second or third week there, but he was already in his third semester because he got in when he was 15, the prodigy. What? Um, yeah, That's I know. Amazing. I didn't and know then, that. Yeah. And then Pete and Jack played together in a band when they were younger. Um and then when we opened for Arch Enemy, Pete was at that show and then talked to Jack and then Then we needed a bass player, and so then he joined, and then Chris was 15 when I met him. What? Um, Yeah, and he was already playing, like, Dream Theater and stuff. He's always been just a beast. Um, Chris is, again, the drummer for anyone that doesn't know. Um, But then he also ended up going to Berkeley, and um, yeah, so we didn't meet there, but we did all go there at kind of overlapping times.
0: So you guys are some phenomenal musicians across the board because it's not easy to get into Berkeley and to get in so young as, as a lot of you guys did. It's, it's crazy. Like, so, I mean, that's amazing. And so like, what are you guys working on right now? Did you do stuff? Did you record over the pandemic and things like that?
1: Yeah. So we were supposed to be on this tour with Insomnium and Omnium Gatherum last March and we played one show, and it got canceled, and I was going home. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, big sad time, and um, so we were just gonna go home, and I was like, Jack, instead of going to South Carolina, do you wanna come to Texas with me, and we can just start writing material for album three? So he did, and we wrote what I personally think is our best work yet. I think all four of us feel that way. Um, It's kinda weird to say nice things about my own art, um, it's a little uncomfortable, but I genuinely feel that it is some of our best. So That means it's good, though. If uh, we're, we're always our own worst critics, so if we actually like it, it probably is good. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good point, yeah. Uh, so that is, we have already released two singles. The first one was called The Cursed Muse, and the second one was called This God is Dead. Uh, by now, when this podcast is out, we'll have announced the new album. It's called Gods of Debauchery, and it will be out on September 10th via Frontiers music yeah did
0: you guys put out a single recently too
1: yeah that was uh this god is dead yeah and uh that's it was cool. a 10 and a half minute uh epic th- probably the most like raw honest like musically and lyrically that I've ever been and uh it featured my favorite singer Roy Kahn yeah uh, that's what I was just gonna say I forgot you had Roy on that which was yes. a really cool guest So, talking about just send the email, (laughs) that is an example of like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I deserve that. And then I was finally like, all right, you know what? We're just going to send the email. So, I asked Sasha because obviously they worked together in the past, I was like, hey, do you have his contact information? He's like, here's a 10-year-old email address. I don't know if this is even still <laughs> valid. I don't know him as a person anymore because it's been so long since we've worked together, but give it a shot. And so I did. And when I, when I emailed him, <laughs> I said like, hi, you know, I'm Sasha's singer. I just want to let you know that um, thank you, I am a really big uh, fan of your artistry, and like I really appreciate everything you've done. You've been a huge influence and inspiration to me. Um, it would be an honor if you would sing on this song, it's about this. And I got an email a couple hours later, I was expecting like a couple days later, but a couple hours later he wrote back and he was like, funny coincidence, but I already know who you are, and I think you're an amazing singer. Wow. And I like, i could have died happy at that point <laughs> right uh so yeah anytime i see like rude comments about that song which i've only seen a couple i just think like roy said i'm a good singer and he liked the song enough to sing on it so f oh, all the haters. anybody
0: who's gonna say anything rude about it you know you guys are wonderful he's a wonderful vocalist
1: Thanks. I saw there was one comment that was like this is the worst thing to happen to Roy's voice. How did such an awful band get like such a like godly vocalist? I hope he was cons- compensated well for his time. Labels always push this trendy like new bands. And I like actually cried a little bit after that just cuz it was so mean. But yeah. then then I was like but Roy liked the song, and he said that I'm a good singer. So fuck you, man. Sorry if I no, no but it's true out. though. No, you <laughs> can swear on the podcast. <laughs> okay. And you can
0: swear loudly. We can, we can give all the fucks. But the thing is, is um that that's the other part about the audience, like the commentators, like mm-hmm. um people with like very very strong opinions about the vocals are not usually vocalists. And mm-hmm. oh um, yeah, <laughs> metal talk fans about just, YouTube comment sections just love to trash. It. Metal fans are some of the worst. Like. The problem with the metal scene, what, okay, so you've got two things that are amazing with the metal scene: the fans, and the problem mm-hmm. with the metal scene is the fans. Yeah, both <laughs> things, because you have the fans keep it propped up. We have the best in our niche genre, the best like webzines, podcasts, like new, you know, rock news sites, all because of like fans who took their own initiative to create those things. Mm-hmm. And I managed a band in a different genre, like an alternative rock genre, and it, it mm. was it's we are really lucky in metal to have that. Like it's almost impossible in mainstream genres. There's no underground zines, there's -hmm. no little fests. Like metal is amazing because of the fans, but then the fans are also the worst because they do this self-defeating thing where they (laughs) don't actually encourage the artists that they love and unlike rap or some other genres, like rap, and they get a little bit more successful, I feel like because they almost manifest it more because they're like, I'm the best, you know, this is the best, like they walk around like buy my stuff like they hustle like Mm -hmm. and they say it's the best they believe it's the best you know their fans like get behind it they like support uh Mm -hmm. if i do a video on like a a a rapper people are so much nicer in the comments than if i do a video on metal singers which is obviously more my main thing Uh and and it's just because like uh, rap fans will be like oh thanks for Talking about my favorite, like trap metal artist or whatever, uh, or uh, and metal metal fans would be like, you failed to mention the earliest work of so and so, and oh my god, you only know only at the Geats album that's good is before Slaughter of the oh, Soul, you know, like they last fingers away from me, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's yes. like it's it, 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 I, I'm speaking to the fans here, you know, at, from a musician perspective, like. When you do that, when you get like old school purist, like there's this metal pride that's going into it, but like every band had to be new at some point, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't just—it's—it's uh, it's frustrating for new metal bands. You almost have to get through this terrible period of being trashed on a lot yeah. before people start really supporting you. It's true.
1: Yeah. I know that we've talked shit about fans, so I just want to also acknowledge like the like some of our really amazing fans like they sent me like crying selfies when like the new single came out and they're like Uh i'm a depressed piece of shit but you made me feel things thank you so much or like it means so much to hear these lyrics or like stuff like that so that like sometimes and maybe it's just because we're out of like that we're on our third album now so maybe maybe we're like old enough to not be shat on at every turn (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) but um like we had like a whole lot of love and like really positive kind people that appreciated the art and not just like, Oh, pretty girl wears lipstick and is hot or whatever, which I'm sure you're familiar with that as well. Oh yeah. So yeah. I just want to acknowledge those people that don't sexualize me and appreciate our art in a very beautiful and heartfelt way. Thank you. Um, you are exactly the kind of people that we wish to attract and, um,
0: I think yeah. that attitude is coming out more and more. As the generations attitude. like shift, um, I think people, too, now that they're in the internet generation and they have to hear from the artist. Before, you could be a purist and you could be like, oh, this vocalist isn't as good as the other vocalist. In the before times, the artist couldn't hear your comments on their record when you went to the record store. They couldn't hear your comments when you read a review in a magazine. They couldn't hear your comments when, they, when you watched their music video. I think now... Especially like artists like yourself, you put yourself out there, you're like, I'm working on my vocals. And and sometimes I do see you post about, Oh, the comments bothered me today and things like that. Having these personal relationships with musicians that really didn't exist, I think that a lot of it is changing now that you have to actually hear what the artist thinks about your comment. (laughs) Oh, that's a human being, you know, they should have thought that the whole time. But again, when there's that distance there, I think the Internet is closing that gap. And I think for a lot of artists, that was scary at first. But I think it's giving you exactly those type of folks to follow you and, and giving you that positive feedback, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they've also said, like, anytime, uh, specifically, like, the people in my Patreon server have been like, anytime you get, like, rude or inappropriate comments, like, we will not destroy that person, but just, like, let them know, like, this is not really welcome here. And not just, like, not in, like, a white knighting kind of way, but, like, it's known that I don't like receiving, like, horny comments and uh, you know like stuff like that and so they're like we will yeah. make sure that you don't have to deal with this we are sorry that you have to do this and we're going to help you get rid of it and so, that's yeah, what yeah, people I think should do right. is
0: sur- sur- fr- surround themselves with with um a team that champions that brings me to another point and i think that you're doing a really good job of that by by finding these environments and creating these audiences patreon and stuff you're also creating um, safe spaces for the people trying to learn from you. Like mm-hmm. some of my um, YouTube commenters are the same way. They'll they'll catch somebody being crazy and I'll get like an email. They'll just straight up direct email me and be like, we like the fact that you don't let haters hang around and this guy's hanging around. Can you block him or like he's bothering us? Also, the people in there, they don't want to hear No, You know, good people don't want to hear people saying that stuff to you either. It makes Mm -hmm. the whole environment uncomfortable. But one of the biggest things that I think keeps people healthy nowadays as musicians is having a team of people around you of supporters, total supporters, because the critics always be there and our inner critics always going to be there. I think some people are afraid that if they do that, they're going to not criticize themselves enough or something. But it's just so overdone. And most people really just need... A team of supporters and it sounds so cool like you have that community on patreon and a lot of your band and now do you use discord
1: and you said discord and things like that yeah i keep in touch with them almost every day basically on a discord server um that's like in addition to like the content that i create for them specifically only them on patreon and we also like we play games together every sunday and we play dnd every saturday so we we just kind of like nerd out about stuff together and and, and it's like i don't know somehow <laughs> it turns out we're all nerdy about the same stuff so it became like a super safe space not only for me but for, for from what i've read from them like many others and i think um yeah we have like stupid in jokes and stuff that they started that didn't start for me so yeah That's amazing. I I just kind of went on a tangent and forgot what you said. Sorry.
0: (laughs) That's what I was saying, though. And that's what a podcast is all about. That's why we do it for like an hour and a half. We want to go on tangents and um, go uh, long format is actually the format that people listen to more. Interviews perform well in certain formats and in certain lengths. Who are your uh, biggest vocal influences? So when you were coming up, tell us about who the people were that were inspiring you to do vocals when you were first getting into it.
1: Uh, Roy Kahn, obviously, uh, Shagrath, Adam Lambert. And... Oh, he's amazing. Oh my God, he's so good. Um, and just to say, I was a fan before he was in Queen. And... Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you were too. He's just phenomenal and an amazing performer and it's incredibly uh emotive and um yeah i think if i hadn't been born a girl i would be somebody like him
0: (laughs) he's amazing and and what good vocal technique you know um just great resonance and yes
1: also as like for me like as an ex-theater kid to see another ex-theater kid do the like pop star, EDM star, and then into the kind of rock and roll world a little bit, and then joined freaking Queen, I felt very seen and very validated as, yes. as a fellow <laughs> theater kid. Um, other influences, I mean, those are the, the main ones. I was pretty into Rob Halford um, for the, like, high, like, clean but distorted cleans. Um, and then... I, I don't know. I end up singing a lot of like Alessandro Conti um, from Luca Tirilli's Rhapsody and now Twilight Force. It just, he's an amazing vocalist. Uh, when I was younger, I, um, <laughs> it's funny actually, my mom used to refer to Toby as my sole uncle um, because That's I had awesome. like kind of like a same, similar, I guess, artistic vibe. Um, and now I'm in his band, which is really weird. Um, he has the best
0: stage banter ever. <laughs> like I always used to joke and be like, "Toby is the funniest guy from Germany. He's the funniest German." He's he
1: pretty funny, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, even when I hear the same jokes every night, he's still funny. Yeah. He's still funny. I also really like Elise ride. I I'm oh yeah. Don't, I don't have a lot of female influences, um, just because for when I was like growing up, I guess, um, there weren't very many, it's not that there weren't very many female vocalists in metal, but it was like many mm. of a, a certain archetype.
0: And, and honestly was, though, there weren't, and it still surprises me how few women there are. There, there's been a rise in front people, but mm-hmm. um, I still feel like the overwhelming majority of people playing metal are men probably. Oh,
1: overwhelmingly so yeah but yeah it was like if I the bands that I liked it was like Camelot Nightwish Dimmu Borgir uh Flesh Got Apocalypse uh Amaranth Cobra and the Lotus like Amazing. those were like the only belting women because all the other ones were like very very good operatic style singers and all of my previous vocal teachers had tried to make me an operatic singer, and I didn't want to do that, and I hated it because um, I'm a theater kid, and I wanted to. Yell. Yeah. Did when you so, were at Berkeley, uh, did they let you do some more modern vocal t- type stuff? Or so, ironically, so I studied uh, for two years at a music school in England before I went to Berkeley, and I studied only contemporary styles there. And then when I went to Berkeley, I'm like, hmm, I really want to work on becoming a metal artist instead of a rock artist. So I'm gonna study opera. <laughs> and so I studied opera for like two and a half years at Berkeley. Wild. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is not proper belting,
0: right? And it and it is really different from that. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, if you're looking if you look back there there like Elise is definitely one. And then um Annette was too. And then of yes. course, you know, I was always a fan of floor back in after forever like way before mm. she was the the legend that we know now you know yes.
1: um I but d- actually even, didn't know about after forever until recently not recently but like after she joined nightwish mm, best shame so shame. well it pro- you, you're a little young though like that
0: might have been a little bit early like because it was a long time ago like two the very early 2000s you know so
1: okay it might just yeah. be
0: that It was before your time, you know, like that was a really long time ago, like 2001, 2002.
1: And okay, yeah, I was like six.
0: Yeah, I was like, (laughs) that's not going to like that would not be on your radar. I don't think Um, it was a really long time ago. Yeah. So when you guys are preparing for like a big show with a a group of vocalists like Aventasia, where from all over the place. I mean, how do you coordinate something like that? How do you rehearse something like that? Do you guys get together beforehand and meet and rehearse for a couple of weeks? Do you just show up at sound check? Everybody's supposed to be prepared. Tell us uh what kind of goes into that level of production for you guys.
1: So, at the beginning of the world tour, we I think we rehearsed for like 2 weeks maybe. And so, most of the rehearsal was core band plus the three backing vocalists Um, because I guess we're counted as part of the band. And um yeah, we just made sure that we all knew the songs and could play them well and knew our parts and went over anything that was awkward. And that was awkward because I was the only one that didn't speak German. And so it was like, what are we doing now? Oh, my God. First one. Okay. Oh, and, right. Yeah. yeah. And,
0: and we're so used to most musicians speak English, like no matter where they're from. So we kind mm-hmm. of get accustomed to that until all of a sudden you're playing with everyone from Germany at one, like everyone's from the same country like I once, yep. you know
1: yeah and so that changed once uh once the fire nation no um where I think we spent two or three days with all of the vocalists together and that was at the end of like the two-week rehearsal period and um rehearsed like on the the risers and everything so we would say like okay we're gonna stand here for this song then we're gonna go up and then we place ourselves here and we'll sing like that and uh we're gonna do this stupid dance or we're not gonna do any choreography at all or um and then that's also the time when all the lead vocalists get comfortable with their monitor settings and um yeah that was i only got to practice my one of my duets with toby once because i think he was he was ill or something had allergies. I'm not really sure, but he wasn't in a, a good way to sing, I think. And that was the first time that I met him, I think, and oh my God, yeah. here you go.
0: Meet, rehearse.
1: Yeah, we didn't even wow. say hello. It was like, oh, we're singing now. okay. Oh my God, I'm like like two feet away from like my high school hero. Uh, and I'm supposed Amazing. to sing. And yeah, it was it was definitely a like uh, it was a moment for sure. Well,
0: and and that's the thing is, you know, again, you, you, you have certain things that you've been preparing for as a musician, but but mm-hmm. there's always this, like, finish not perfect, you know. You're just there. It's time to get on stage. We're doing this. You know what I mean? Yep. And yep. Uh, that's how it kind of has to be sometimes, and I, 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 kudos to you for diving in and going with it, you know. I mean, that's all you can do, and, and that's really how a lot of these things actually do shake out, and that's why it's important for us to be, you know, working on our singing in general, you know, so that we just have like a, we're able to kind of handle that. But yes. um, a lot of people are just very fixated on the preparation, like having things be absolutely perfect before they get there. And while I definitely feel if you don't practice, you're going to have problems. Your story tells us you can't always be that prepared. Some days you're just going to, that's it. That's when the yeah. rehearsal starts.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just have to be prepared enough. And that's why, like, most days, even if I don't, like, feel like practicing, I'll be like, if I ever get into that situation, I'll be so glad that I put in even, like, half an hour that, like, on all those days that I didn't want to. Yes, yes. And that all adds up to being ready when I get called. Preparation and, uh, meets opportunity.
0: That's yep. that's when it all happens. Totally, and and that's that's why I've been jo- really enjoying having you on because um, I think that a lot of people are going to get encouraged by hearing about your journey and and the, that oh you you did just send the email and I think that's super important for people to hear. It's intimidating. People don't realize good opportunities can be very anxiety-inducing. It's a lot to handle. But again, you don't get to be that guy. You don't get to do those things if you don't step out there and do it. So,
1: completely agreed. Yeah
0: yeah how cool spires do you guys have any um you know everything's opening up now i know you guys had canceled and rescheduled tours from last year lots of disastrous stuff how are things
1: looking we uh it's looking really good actually so far we have uh one confirmed tour and one that's like probably will hear at the end of either this month or maybe next month i unfortunately can't give any more information than that
0: of course yeah
1: some good stuff will happen thank goodness coming soon yeah i don't (laughs) want to be the fucking big things coming soon guy but yeah big things coming soon and it's another one of those like both of the tours that got canceled from last year those were like pinch my 18 year old self and be like guess what you did it and this is the one that's confirmed is another one of those like guess what you're never gonna believe this (laughs) but so yeah that's so cool yeah
0: I'm glad to hear that because it's really refreshing to start to see metal bands announcing tours and people getting things back together. I mean, that is the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, for you guys that had so many cool things canceled, um, it's great to hear that you have opportunities popping up again and already some maybe bookings down and I'm sure people are going to get pumped. Looking forward to that. Just, just hearing about the prospect of it, you know, even if you can't say what the lineup is yet, because everybody gets that like tour announcement stuff, but they're going to be stoked just even knowing that, you know, yet and yet again, and metal bands are coming back, things are starting mm-hmm. to happen. And um it's just been a crazy year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wish that we could be among the bands that are getting to go out later this year, maybe something will randomly happen. And, uh you know, like we'll get called and then like a week later, we'll go out. That would be amazing. Uh But yeah, I'm just happy to have anything in the books at all. <laughs> yeah, and
0: And That's the thing. The end of this year is very saturated. I've actually seen a couple band scenarios where there was two tours booked and the venue had to pick one so far at the end of the year here because it's just so oversaturated you know yeah and so um even though it's everybody's coming back it's it's like a lot of the bands who have things to make up for ticket sales that they have to redeem from before the pandemic you know and and uh a lot of venues are just choosing that because they have they have to they've got to catch up to what you know so i think a lot of stuff is occupied and saturated but like you said with all the stuff going on it's totally plausible that you could have a random opportunity and that's the beauty of doing the stuff that we do you know is those opportunities can come up and you can't necessarily see them and again that's why you put out records why you're a consistent artist is Mm. preparation meets opportunity people know you guys could do it
1: yeah absolutely and um i mean we talked about this over messenger a little bit too but like just the complete random nature of like our schedules like and that goes back to like making sure you put in the hours whenever you can even if you don't want to like you you never know when something is gonna like hey here you go can you do it and like oh yeah I i had a teacher at berkeley who would say like it's sad to be ready and not be called, but it's a tragedy to be called and not be ready. And because oh, we never. Oh, I love that. Isn't that good? I uh, love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Everybody like, because... write, that <laughs> write that down. Write that down. Write that down. Put it on
0: your mirror. Stick it to your computer.
1: Yeah. And while it is exhausting to constantly be in a ready state, um, and like, I don't want to miss out on any opportunity, like, it really does. It really does pay off to just be able to drop everything and go and know that you're going to be ready enough because you put in the hours. An example of this is um, in 2017 when uh, the promoters of Prog Power called us and were like, can you be here tomorrow and play a show? Wow, yeah. And we did. And
0: it was great. And that's a huge festival in our niche, in our genre. That opportunity yeah. cannot be passed up. But yet, as crazy as it sounds, I can think of a couple of people I know who would say no because they wouldn't feel confident enough and prepared enough. I, I, I know it. I know some people like that who play in in bands that could get called,
1: and it's only themselves telling themselves that you know. That's exactly uh, it. Mm-hmm. We like I think almost all of us, except for the egomaniacs, struggle with this thing of like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough, or like I don't deserve to do that because I didn't do the thing that I was yep. blah blah blah. Like you talked about before, imposter syndrome is like it weighs so heavily on. I'm realizing so many. Uh, so many of us yeah yeah and and that's and that's
0: exactly it it's like but you guys did it you did exactly what you're supposed to do the other thing I always remind like my vocal students of and, and you can probably relate to this because there's a lot of things. It's cool that you did theater growing up. That's what I did growing up too. I think all of us music nice. kids, we have to do theater and opera because that's all there is to do when you're growing <laughs> up. You can't like be in a metal band when you're 12. you might yeah. not even like quite interested in that yet, you know? Mm-hmm. It, not till the teens hit and then you really start doubling down on your true interests and things. Yep. But, you know, so many of us come out of theater. But one of the things that I really remembered from there was There's tricks to being an entertainer. You're still an entertainer. It's sort of like being a magician. I mean, I'm always telling the vocalists that I coach, like, look, the audience isn't musicians, like very few of them. Uh, And and a lot of times I'll talk about in context of something like changing the key to make the song fit your voice better. Only one in 10,000 people has perfect pitch and they're probably not going to be in your audience. If they are, they'll be in one of the other bands you're playing with. Right, yeah. Or your band, you know, mm-hmm. and and um, I've had people in my bands with perfect pitch, but in the audience, like it's not musicians, it's not people who know music, not people who can like they, they know if it's if you like biff something mm-hmm. kind of. But at the same time, all of our little, little mistakes, you know, like if we're generally prepared, they kind of don't notice those. And, and you can almost bank on that. And I have several times, you know, mm-hmm. where like I know this isn't perfect, but it's not. It, it's it's coming across really well. Like nobody really, that's a the theater thing. They tell you like, oh, if you're making a you mistake. You have to sell it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And that's why you should play those last minute gigs like you guys
1: did. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So when you did theater growing up, uh-huh. what type of stuff did you do? Mostly musicals, straight plays, and what was your favorite musical? And do you still listen to any of that stuff? Or are you kind of onto metal now?
1: So I was definitely a musicals kid i was living in england and i really like my life goal was to be on the west end i really wanted to be in wicked um and uh, i wanted to be in rent and i wanted to be in phantom of the opera unfortunately it was annoying because i'm a if i were in that world still i would be classed as a mezzo-soprano and yes mezzo-sopranos never get good roles Sorry if that's not true, but that was my experience. It's tough, um, yeah. And then at the in the plays that I was cast in at school, they always cast me as comic relief, and mm. I don't know why, but that's fine. I uh, I was frustrated because I wanted to do dark stuff, and also all the roles and all my favorite songs and like I don't know the stuff that I felt I belonged to were always male parts. And they were sung yeah. by tenors with, like, in, songs in a range that, like, felt right for me. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah, so refreshing.
0: Sopranos are most, most women's voices are soprano. I mean, I have to explain this to most of my vocal clients. Like, statistically, like, 60 to 70% of women are sopranos. So, like, mm-hmm. a lot of the roles are not favorable to mezzos. And then, of course the even fewer of us contraltos but yeah your speaking voice is so lovely and warm i was thinking that the whole time that we're talking you know a lot of legendary famous people are mezzos lady gaga adele rihanna mm-hmm. like it's an extremely popular voice but statistically it's not very many of people and so um it's a really flexible voice actually as well you can leverage the lows that. and you yeah. could leverage the highs it depends yeah. on what you want to do but at the same time right in in musicals y- you can't change the key this is the this is the downside with when you don't do original music or when you do theater or because uh, it's not an opera in opera they would hand me and you probably remember this in classical here's the schubert songs for the low voice like here's the book for the low voice like everything yep. is transposed to fit yep this is the mezzo book. This is the soprano mm-hmm. book. Like here you go, and it's Did all you like you
1: have that like uh, twelve Italian operas like the yes! Kai book. Yeah, oh, of course,
0: <laughs> I still have it somewhere. Yeah. Uh- yep. I had a lot of my books. Some of them I donated to a music school that I taught at because I was just like, I don't care about it. Because nowadays I can just Google the Schubert song and Mm -hmm. find the sheet music. It's like public domain, you know. Mm -hmm. I used Mm -hmm. to have all those fat books, so fat amounts of, you know, all the classical repertoire that you do in theater. That's what always bothered me too, is like you're stuck in a role and if they don't have anything to cast you, and again, most of the fun roles are men roles. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you. Oh my God, you're the first woman to ever agree with me. No, way. thank you. Like, I feel so parts- seen
0: <laughs> No, all the good parts in Jesus Christ Superstar, it's all men parts. Mary mm-hmm. Magdalene's all right, but the songs mm-hmm. aren't anywhere near as fun to sing as the rest of them, as the men parts. You I know, neglected it- to
1: mention Sweeney Todd, by the way.
0: Oh, exactly, uh, sweetie Todd. You mm-hmm. know, so, uh, but I relate to your problem because I have a contralto voice and um, mm-hmm. I don't really fit anywhere in musical theater. So, except for men's
1: parts. <laughs> men's parts and then like witches and old women. come Like, dude, <laughs> <Yeah>. excuse <laughs> me. So one of the things that
0: surprises me still is if you're not looking at rock operas like Rent, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. Superstar, Hedwig, Repo. These are all like what I would oh, call rock. Oh, Repo. Ro- Yeah.
1: Forgot about that one.
0: Yeah. I'll call all those rock operas for sure. And borderline things like chess, maybe, you know, we could maybe include. But the rest of it, even when I coach actors now, it still surprises me how much people don't belt and and how little they want you to belt. And, and if you're a woman, it that and sometimes I would get leads in musicals, but I actually could not belt till I was older. Like I could only do like some kind of mixed voice singing and classical. And I kept wondering that in hindsight, like how did I get those parts, you know? Because I have a low voice, but when you don't belt, you can transcend a lot of the breaks. You know what I mean? Yes, definitely. You can mix a lot of it. And in like a lot of the more traditional musicals, you can do that. You can mix a lot of it. And in in fact, like some of the actors that I coach, they'll talk about that, like how the audition doesn't want them to belt. And then I'll go listen to the Broadway recording and be like, wow, this kind of isn't belting, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it surprises me how little of it, because you obsess over the belting when you're a kid, you know?
1: Yeah, well, it's so fun. It feels like flying. Yeah. That's all you ever want to do. It's like the vocal equivalent of like playing arpeggio, like sweeps.
0: Yes. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and in a lot of the men's
0: compositions, because they don't want too rock of a belt sound, even the musicals that the musicals that are not rock operas, I've noticed when I'm teaching them to people, the men's parts rarely go above G above middle C. If you have chess or jesus christ superstar definitely there's parts that uh go above that but a lot of those guys the theater guys doing the rock operas they'll flip hard into their falsetto about halfway through the middle c octave rock and metal singers especially tenors will try to belt all the way up to like c5 yeah you know i love it (laughs) yeah it's so totally different that being said do you practice any of that stuff ever do you go over back and and revisit musicals and use some of your new techniques
1: i definitely do and it's so fun um, I do those usually on days where I'm like, wow, my clean singing feels really good and I don't feel like doing much. So I'm just going to do the things that I couldn't do when I was a kid so that I feel good. And, um, usually I practice like, um, some wicked, uh, Les Mis is another one, of course. And, um, Classic. sometimes Phantom, but not that often because it's, uh, that's very soprano,
0: music. unfortunately. Yeah,
1: but I like Raoul's songs a lot. Um, ah. Every time, yeah, it's, it's the same problem every time. But every time that I post these, David writes to me and he's like, "Okay, when are we gonna do our like metal singers do a, a musical theater review
0: <laughs> show? Oh,
1: fun, fun, yeah. So I I don't know if we'll ever do that, but
0: but you got you guys totally should. You guys would be great at that. I think but also so too, when you're not doing it as part of a a, a show, you can move the key. Like I mean, yes. you can certainly do like. Uh, any role you want, you know, but at the same time, that's the beauty of like not actually having to do it in the context. Like if I want to do the soprano stuff from Phantom of the Opera, I can just drop the hell out of that
1: key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Make a new sure MIDI can. and you can actually play instruments well and play the piano well. So for you, it's, um, that's even easier, you know?
1: Yeah. I, uh, I did a cover of all I ask of you from Phantom because nice. I love Raoul's songs and uh i said you know fuck the original key i'm gonna do it how i want and yes uh, yeah and it was so much fun and it was like i not something that i would have been able to do when i was younger and didn't have the skills that i have now but it was like i can sing the songs i want to sing in the way that i want to sing them arranged in the way that i want to sing them so like they're more powerful even more emotive at, at least for me um and they like hurt me more they make me feel good more and i yeah that's uh the good part about playing an instrument, I guess. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that's that's the thing, is the more famous someone is, most of the time when I'm watching you know, shows like The Masked Singer or even like idol shows or whatever, which I don't do a lot, the more famous someone is, the more I see stuff transposed, not less, mm. way Ed more. Sharon. A really good example is Ed Sheeran. He's a really high voice person. Mm. But he accompanies himself almost always, just Mm -hmm. acoustic. And he always pretty much capos himself down like a whole step. And it's Mm. not because he can't sing. It's because he's not trying to biff it on Ellen. In front right, of like of millions of twenty million people or whatever. And and that's really important to know too is a lot of times we're just doing it to to again put it in our your most ideal pocket. Do it the way you wanna do it. Do it successfully and accurately when you're in those big moments and pressure. So I actually find it way more professional. And that's the beauty is the audience may not know, but they're gonna know that you did this amazing kick ass version of that song. They're not you're gonna right. know why.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's that's a really good point, actually. You know, when I was younger, I thought that like a sign of a good vocalist was being able to sing in any key and just pull it off. And that's great. And now that you're saying that I'm like, realizing, yeah, you're absolutely right. The more professional someone is, the more effort they'll put into making it flattering for them. I mean, why would we go out there and like, try extra hard to sound good, when we know we could just do it an easier way and sound amazing?
0: And also vocal ranges are not unlimited. That's why we're like mm-hmm. contralto. Why can't I become a soprano? You know, why can't um, a man just suddenly have a woman's voice by deciding to? Folks that are exceptional, like um, people who are like Mike Patton, people who have like five octaves or something, that's mm-hmm. very rare. I mean, I've coached hundreds of people and I've had a few people with four octaves, but you can't, you, it's physics of sound. They're strings, they have a finite max length and width and while Mm -hmm. for many years it feels like our range is improving there is a physical limit one day that we hit and so there's nothing you can do you know who's actually two guys that you sing with transpose a lot so ed guy toby they always Mm -hmm. usually play down a a whole other half step on the whole tour Mm -hmm. um and toby's amazing right and and that's why though like the more famous the more pro the more Mm -hmm. i see that he's not trying to Do it as high as the record because that's a lot of vocal economy over a six-week tour. And same, he doesn't have anything to prove either. Exactly. And then another guy isn't Yorn? Yorn in your in Avantasia? Yeah, he absolutely is.
1: Yes, and I like that you said it, Yorn, because apparently that is actually how you say his name. It's not Yorn or. Yeah, I know. I
0: I always want to call him Yorn, but I'm like, no, it's really like Yorn or something like
1: that. He he said it's like urn, like the thing that you put ashes in. So Yorn. But yeah. Oh, talk about a vocal
0: legend right there.
1: Yeah. But wow.
0: Check out Yuren's version of I Walk Alone by Taria. It's way transposed down. He's really like a high baritone. Mm hmm. It sounds badass, like it's a super epic version. Everybody's like, Yorn's version of Dataria's song is so good, you know? And uh, he massively tuned it down. He's not a soprano, it's in a completely different key. It's down like quite a ways, like a third or something, maybe even a fourth. He's a great example. He has all these really cool like cover song EPs out, and um, he just moves it to where he sounds badass and everybody raves about it,
1: so. yeah. I mean, Another- how could they not? <laughs>
0: yeah so another example there of somebody super super professional leveraging it into where they sound the best because you know we can practice all day doesn't mean we're going to become a soprano we can't change it necessarily that's my whole life i mean when i joined the band i'm in they're playing uh the two singers before me had slightly higher voices than me including the guy (laughs) (laughs) and and i was like you guys playing c sharp like how about we tune this down to c it's only a half step, but mm-hmm. for me, being an extremely low voice person, it makes it much more comfortable. And Good. Um, then I don't screw it up live. So, you know, <laughs> that's cool that you're starting to do that and you've got all those badass instrumental skills. So as we're wrapping up here, let's think about um, what all instruments. So you play the keyboards and do mm-hmm. symphonic arrangements and things. Do mm-hmm. you actually do you play any other instruments? And uh, how often are you using those things? I know you used it for Winds of Plagues, you certainly play keys with them.
1: Tell us a little bit about your instrumental skills. Uh, well, I write for almost every instrument that I arrange for. I am okay at writing bass lines, but I usually let Pete take care of it. And I can write drum grooves well enough. I don't play drums, but I know how to like make different blast beats or like I can kind of feel my way through some stuff. And um, I basically am only a vocalist and a keyboardist. Uh, I use my keyboard skills basically every day and I'm a very shitty violinist and that's just something that I picked up because I love to learn new languages, new instruments and um, it's just good to have a reminder of like being a beginner at a musical instrument reminds me that I'm a badass at the things that I do professionally. Like if I ever feel bad about singing, I could just pick up the violin and be like... "Eh." (laughs) yeah okay so when did you start doing violin uh recently Uh, a couple years ago yeah honestly like because I was on the road so much I didn't get to practice it that much and I only really do that when I feel like it um or if I can't go to sleep I'll be like I don't know if you've seen like the Sherlock films but um Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock he like at, at, at like four in the morning he'll be there like plucking the strings like thinking about how the universe works, and so sometimes that's me, too. That's (laughs) awesome. um, Yeah, so I really haven't been playing that long in the grand scheme of things. I would still consider myself, like, probably in my first year, even though I've had the damn thing for, like, three years. um, I was gone for most of it, so... That's
0: so cool though, and 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 again, that gives you a lot of flexibility. Like I I have a lot of vocal students that you know can't play instruments and don't know their instruments, and you don't actually necessarily need to. We don't think of singing that way in terms of like this is an E and like using sheet oh, right. music and you know, but it does help a lot. Just making the arrangement of the song be what you want. Mm-hmm. Your keyboard skills, the fact that mm-hmm. you do arranging, you can do that. You can hit the transpose button on the keyboard. You can that's true you can do a lot with that or you can just move the actual chord you have enough knowledge to do that and i think that's real real important as a vocalist
1: i I did forget that i also can play guitar very poorly i can play it like well enough to like write a riff or like if i want a melody and jack's not around i could probably like plunk it out kind of okay and i also used to be a bass player in high school when my band my rock band didn't have a bass player so i was like singing, bass playing front person, and um, yeah. So like I, I can find my way on string instruments, but like my hands are so small and I don't know if you can see, but basically like, wow. so a knuckle is supposed to go one, two, three, but my pinky goes one, three. I see. Um, so like, I just don't have the reach. Uh, I can barely reach like from C to D on a keyboard. Sure. Um, so I'm not really made for instruments, but I can, I try my best.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do great though. And and I totally get it too. I'm not much an instrumental, like I'm a functional pianist at best.
1: But then there's also like, when I was at school, you know, I, I studied composition and they're like, we strongly advise you go and buy a violin so you know what it is like for a violinist. So you know, like what you're writing oh, for. Oh. So, yeah. Is, you know, sometimes people don't really think about that. But when I sit down to write an arrangement, I'm like, is this physically possible? Not for me, but like somebody really good, probably, or maybe not. And um, Right, because you can write it on MIDI and it might actually not be playable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And not just about the range, but like what kind of like contortions would this player have to do? And that same thing goes for like, um, like you have to think about like an upright player, their notes are so much farther apart. So like when you're writing for a bigger instrument, you have to like try to think about how it's going to be for them. And like writing for brass instruments is a completely different thing because you have to think about like the tonguing technique and like enunciating each note and stuff like that. So I don't play very many instruments, but I know how to write for many of them beyond just like here's the range. Um, Yeah. That's (laughs) so important and fascinating. And I
0: think a lot of people that write need to hear that because... This happens to me a lot the opposite way, where um, someone who's not a singer will write the vocal line. They'll be an instrumentalist.
1: Mm-hmm. I can totally tell that. You want me to do a jump a seventh?
0: Yeah, I can totally are tell sure? that it's written by an instrumentalist. It's exactly the same way in the opposite. It, that's Those are great points. I wanted to ask, as we're ending here, Is there anything that you wanna plug? Or where can, actually, where can people follow you? Where can they get your Patreon? Where can they see some of the stuff we've been talking about? Um,
1: All that good stuff. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Adrian Cowan Music. I'm on YouTube, Adrian Cowan Music, uh, Facebook dot com slash adrian cow music i'm on instagram that's where i'm most active oh my god it's the end of my day i hear you <laughs> i'm at adrian underscore cowan. i post tons of practice cams and just like insights onto my routines on musical endeavors and i just started twitch, twitch. oh how TV fun slash adrian cowan with no underscore yeah so i'll, I'll put like,
0: links to uh when the podcast comes up, so you guys can all check that out. And this has been so wonderful. Thank you, Adrian. This is so great. I think a lot of people will be very encouraged listening to your story and all the things that you've done. And I definitely can't wait to see you out on the road and and see some of these performances. And right um, back at you. It's gonna be wonderful. So.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to somebody who just really gets it.
0: Yes. I love it. I love it as well. It's been wonderful. Well, thanks everybody. You can catch Adrian on the social media links. We talked about Twitch, Instagram, Patreon, and we'll put some links in the chat. Also check out the bands: Sasha Pates, Masters of Ceremony, Aventasia, Seven Spires, Winds of Plague.
1: I think i named them all <laughs> most important is the new seven spires album which the pre-orders will be out by now so go pick that up please order that it's order it pre-save. Thing proud of.
0: that wraps up this episode of the voice hacks podcast thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the show